This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. episode 99 of the equalizer podcast dan lawletta and jeff kasuf making a rare appearance on the pod we are deep in the bowels of red bull arena following the u.s women's national team one nothing victory over spain and jeff an entertaining match because for the second time now in what nine months spain really gave the u.s some trouble the u.s won both games a little bit different in the way it went down Sunday night as opposed to at the World Cup, but Spain now looks like a team that the U.S. is going to have to be on its toes for all the time. Yeah, and I think we saw this, you know, with, with how Spain has performed at that U-17-19 level um, and some of these players coming through. They're not – it hasn't sort of directly come through to the senior level yet, but I think it, it maybe has helped kind of forecast this. And, um, yeah, I mean, Spain, you know, the World Cup match, I think – it's not an exaggeration to say that they were certainly um, certainly could have won that match. I think they played well enough to do so. Um, and, and today, here in Red Bull Arena, um, I would say we, we just got the match report and it did not have possession <laughs> on it, at least the one that was provided here in the stadium. So um, possessions not obviously is obviously not everything, but I think um, you could say at the very least that seemed like a pretty even matchup uh, today between the U.S. and Spain in terms of who was dictating play, um, and, and that was the line of questioning that we just came from with with Vlad Kalinovsky was, um, and and he said, and I had asked Tobin Heath, you probably were you were on the other side, you probably got the same answers that they, we kept saying, well, you sat off a lot for for your usual, and they said that wasn't actually the plan. Spain actually made them do that, so um, I think that kind of speaks to what Spain's able to do. Especially considering the game on Thursday night against England. The U.S. just pressed England into submission almost immediately in that game, and England didn't have a chance really in that game. So you figured the U.S. would come out and press again, and they did apparently try that. Another thing that Andonovsky said, and this is when he talks a little bit over my head, which I appreciate because <laughs> I need to learn this stuff, but moving the block from the middle of the field up top, and he said when he brought in press and Heath, that was part of the idea was to kind of move the line of confrontation a little bit higher on the pitch. And it took them about 10 minutes after they came in to actually get the ball because <laughs> they were defending for like the first right. 10 minutes after they came in. But then once they got it back and they started pushing, then I thought they were pretty much in control the last 12 or 15 minutes. Whether they were going to score or not is another story, but they started to take control around the 80th minute. Well, I'll give you credit too. You were sitting next to me, and I think you did say to me, press, goal, or assist changes this game yep. when she came in. So and she made the pass I'll, that uh, set up the free kick and then yeah, the free kick. I will go on record for you there. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I, to me, I mean, talking to Vlatko in Orlando, um, I wouldn't say he was coy, but, you know, it wasn't, he's not going to give me the lineups, obviously. I'm, I'm happy to take them if he wants <laughs> to, but 
um, it seemed like there was going to be some experimentation, not the word, because I don't think we saw that. I think we s there was going to be a little bit of testing of certain players. and certain Squad rotation. Not even rotation, though. Just a couple of people he maybe wanted to see in a certain role. And I think that's where we saw that starting front three where Lynn Williams was on that, that right side with Rapino, who didn't start in Orlando, um, and with Carly in the middle, um, and then Sonnet coming in at fullback. So I, I think there was a little bit of wanting to see that, and the Spain game always made sense as the one to do that in. Um, and, yeah, I think there was – I don't think this was everything because it would, it would take away – it would be a disservice to Spain to say it was just the U.S. selection, but – think there was a little bit of disruption to kind of the usual uh, flow, at least that we saw in Orlando, and, and I think that's probably a credit to that Press Heath Lloyd front line at the moment versus some other combinations. Yeah, I think so, and I think Lynn Williams had an interesting role in the first half. She looked like she was playing a little deeper. Mm -hmm. um, I liked her better when they, I forget exactly when it happened, when she moved back to up top central, because I don't think she should be on the field at all if she's not going to be in that spot. And whether yeah. she should be there or not is another conversation, <laughs> but if she's going to be there, I think she's got to be the central forward, central especially forward. if they're going to play three. I, maybe. I mean, I think I think you can play her on the wing. I mean, I was saying to you during the game, I, like, I'm fine with her on the wing because her her attributes fit that anyway. She's an underrated passer. In a, in a certain system, yeah, I mean, letting her get behind on the if you're trying to exploit the flanks to play her out wide and let her go there but just the idea in general of her being on the field at all and in like I guess Rapino is you're not really asking Rapino to defend as much either so in that sense it might maybe make sense of the two of them but having Williams dropped in so deep defensively um, seemed to sort of counteract why you would have her on the That's field. fair, and she did defend, I think, pretty well in the game and dropped back deep a few times to break up some plays, and Rapino has never been great at doing that, and you definitely get the sense that Rapino is in manage myself through the Olympics mode right yeah. now. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it, it seems like they're being pretty transparent about that. That was not starting her in Orlando. I mean, we were told no injuries on the team. It was a load management, so um, you know, it's, it's a long year. I mean, they're before they even pick the team, um, you've got the three games that she believes. You've got Brazil and Australia in April, and then two games against Germany in June, and then a couple more games after that once there is a team, I think, and then the Olympics plus NWSL. Um, so I think there are definitely, you know, Rapino is, is one of the players that it's that's going to take some management. Absolutely. Now here's what I think about the Spain performance in this game. I thought the positive about Spain, obviously, like everyone was saying post-game, they possess the ball really well and they make it difficult to press them and chase them and all that stuff. But I think mentality-wise, they don't stop playing. Usually you see a team plays the U.S. or a big team tough for 75, 80 minutes, then they go into this shell. Like they're afraid of the last 10 or 15 minutes. That's why I think Brazil, with one exception, never beat the U.S. in a truly big game because they couldn't see the game out. I don't think Spain did that. They obviously lost late. But I don't think that's the reason they lost late. On the other side, for as much possession as they create, they do not create chances. That's their M.O., right? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's their thing. So um, They did hit a post, though, which didn't they get did. talked they about they, a lot. Yeah, they should have been leading. Um, that, was, that was a fine header by Jenny. Um, yeah, I think you know that's probably the difference right now for them between uh, being the, the team knocking on the door of that kind of top tier and 
being in it. Um, obviously, they won't get the Olympics to kind of to kind of show themselves there, but uh, you get the sense, all, as ever, that Europeans are not so in tune to the Olympics as much as I mean, even talking to England. I know we're going to shift there in a moment, but um, you know, even post game today, uh, from from England's results over Japan, there was talk of like just getting ready for Euros. So, um, and they they're pl Team GB, but they're playing in the Olympics. So, yep. Um, um, well, I mean, if you look at the way Europe sets it up, they do real qualifying <laughs> for the World Cup, then they do real qualifying. Send you down the rabbit hole. <laughs> of course, for the Euros, and that, that's why the Olympic qualifying system is what it is because they're actually doing proper qualifiers for the other two tournaments. So I'm sure everybody on Germany in the Norway team way back is thrilled to have that gold medal, but I do probably agree that other than the general allure of the Olympics that it's a bigger deal for them to win or play well at the Euros. And I think if Spain can figure out, and Hermoso scores a million goals in the Spanish League, I know some of those games are not right. super competitive, but if they can find a way to get some goals, they've got to be considered a contender to be yeah. in the last four at the Euros. I think we were talking about this last year when we were talking about them, that 2023 is probably the year that, like, the year that you need to be really looking at them. It's, I mean, for World Cups and major tournaments, but Euros as well, but in terms of World Cups, 2023 is probably, you know, we'll see how it develops. We've got three years to get there, but that Spain could be knocking on right. that. They're, they're also in that phase, though, where they can play like this and lose, and we're like, yeah, Spain, they're going to be so good. Whereas, <laughs> right, you know, right. England, play, and they didn't play nearly as well as Spain did. Right. But England is now at the point where we're like, all right, it's time. Right. And it hasn't happened yet. And that's, you know, that's, um, I mean, I was down in Orlando for a U.S.-England game on, on Thursday, and, um, you know, look, I, England looked pretty poor. Um, you know, I think the U.S. will take some credit for it, as we've kind of joked about <laughs> off air, but... Um, you know, I think that I tweeted this, I wrote this a little bit, or at least I, I added this thought from, uh, from Phil Neville um, in, in the piece from Orlando that, you know, he was asked that the gap seems to have widened from the U.S., not just to England in my opinion, but I, I just don't see a natural challenger right now for the U.S. as like a, a team. Like anything can happen on a day. I mean, it almost happened today against Spain, I think. But um, I don't see a team that I look at and say, that's a team that's guaranteed going to give the U.S. trouble every time at the moment, and, and I think England wants to be that team. But um, Phil Neville talking about, to me, it was very pointed to say the gap has not widened. He doubled down on that, and he did not say we've closed the gap because he knows that that's not the truth. Um, and there, there's um, a little bit of, of experimentation from him with some younger players. Right, there's no bronze and no knobs. There's no yeah, well, well, not but but the no bronze is is a big one. Um, but, you know, I, I think the gap there to talk about Thursday's game a little bit, um, which, you know, by this point, I'm sure if you haven't seen the, the press goal from that day, which was, was a, an amazing one, um, and then the pass from, from Haram to, to Carly, um, you know, the, the gap was pretty big there, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to say right, one game, the gap is widened, the gap is narrowed, especially <laughs> when it's... It's the She Believes Cup, even though Neville made a big deal last summer at the World Cup. Hey, we've won our first trophy. Hey, all that trophy's that other out stuff. on the field today again. <laughs> but it did feel kind of like the U.S. left all these teams like on the roadside at the World Cup. Like yeah. France gave them a little trouble, but mm -hmm. they just knocked them off. England could have been 2-2, right. wasn't. 
and then they left them. And then, you know, the Netherlands played, I think, tougher than anybody thought they would or could based on how much extra they had played and the one day less rest and extra time against Sweden. And the U.S. said, nah, we'll, we'll do that too. Spain, tough effort, but, you know, forget about it. And then you get France and Germany not going to the Olympics, and it almost seems like you have to wait the extra three years to even get those teams back with an opportunity to even challenge the U.S. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see. Um, you know, the, the one that I've I've kind of been tweeting about this a bunch. So, um, forgive me if you if you're listening and this is repetitive, or if you're not following me on Twitter, then go ahead and do that. But um, <laughs> the I'm really curious to see Brazil, a Pia Sinhaga yeah, led Brazil too. with some better defensive discipline, some better organization, and and if that is happening with the usual sort of flair, um, I think that could be. You know, it depends how a draw goes and everything, but that would be a really interesting matchup. And there's obvious, I mean, the PIA history, the U.S.-Brazil history, that would be really enticing. And two players we know well, Marta and Dabini, you know, whatever happens, they're going to play extremely hard the entire and time. And Formiga's in her 100th tournament again. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, that's the end of segment one. We'll come back a little bit more specific maybe on some of the U.S. players. We'll eventually get to some Q&A. Dan and Jeff, episode 99 of the Equalizer podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast, it's episode 99, closing in on that hundredth in the captain's armband for everybody Next it. week, oh, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll see if the biceps uh, work out. We, we can explain that in a minute. Um, but just a reminder to everyone, if you're not familiar with our site, we're online at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. Every time there's a big event, She Believes, NWSL stuff, we'll put some stuff in the premium area. So that's EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe and also a reminder to please rate and review the equalizer podcast today jeff um cypress uh, sorry algarve cup yeah. and france has a tournament going on too and i don't always like to overhype things but we got a lot of good stuff in orlando most of it will be coming for subscribers only so some i've heard a lot of talk coming. about this good <laughs> stuff <laughs> if it lives up to Slow billing. trickle. <laughs> check definitely something coming early week from from that trip and then some of it's a bigger project for uh down the line, but so you got to get in early. All right, pressure's on you. Though. Um, yeah, a couple of results I think we want to make sure we mention. Um, Algarve Cup uh, is into its kind of final stages here. It's a smaller tournament than than in the past. Certainly since uh, we've been kind of paying attention as uh, as U.S. folks, um, Germany with a one 0 result over Sweden in, in the group stage. Um, Italy here, I think if you look at some of these uh, the final stages here, they're doing semifinals now we've got um, Germany with a 4-0 result over Norway on Saturday and then uh, Italy 3-0 over New Zealand which is probably even more so the the eye opener for me if you're if you're New Zealand um, so some stuff to watch there I think and Germany um, obviously well, a bunch of those teams not in the Olympics but New Zealand uh, one of them but don't you just want them to do well once in one of these <laughs> tournaments <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is kind of that broken record story, maybe. Because um, it's not like they get there and they're outclassed. They get there and they're right there and they find a way to not get it. I'm not saying they're one of the best teams out there, but yeah, they usually find, find a way to make it really gut-wrenching that they yeah, they're don't always, They're always kind of there, I guess, is probably. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. That's 
I, I do. I feel like we're in like deja vu with that though. But, yes, um, yes, we are. And then uh, the Tournoi de France. Uh, Bad. Obviously, I didn't pick up anything for five weeks in France last year, but um, I think our listeners, being heavily predominantly North American, Canada in this tournament, um, if you've listened to me, you know I don't totally rate <laughs> Canada among, I mean, certainly not in that top tier. I think they often are punching above their weight as a group anyway, um, certainly individual talent, but 1-0 loss to France on the first match day in that tournament, France is hosting. Um, and then the the nil nil against the Netherlands, a um, couple of injuries for the Netherlands. Van de Donk went down in the 30th minute, uh, red card for the Dutch. Canada played up a player for 45 minutes basically with a long stoppage time in that second half. Ended nil nil. So um, Canada hasn't scored since that tight one nil Olympic qualifying. That's been their issue for a couple of years now. Over over Costa Rica, um, so. Last three games for Canada are Dutch, French, Americans, no goals. Um, and it's weird because you got Sinclair just breaks Wombach's record, but literally Canada hasn't been able to score since like, yeah. the World Cup. It's been tough. Or yeah, it's been tough going. That. So I think uh, Kenneth Heiner-Muller has some, some questions to answer, that's for sure. Um, and we'll see back-to-back bronze medals for them. But, um, yeah, the Dutch, nil-nil uh, with Brazil to start out, and then uh, – Nil-nil again with with Canada on the second match day, and then France beating Brazil one-nil. Um, so one more to go on on Tuesday, um, which will be after this pod drops. So Brazil Canada, we we're just talking about Brazil, and then France Netherlands. Um, Good game. I, I'd pay for those. You could you could get a free trial and get B in. That's <laughs> that's how I'm watching it. Well, um, we'll, we'll see what Tuesday brings. Yeah. Um, how about the U.S. Um, Rapino, we talked about, I thought was pretty quiet. Only lasted a little over an hour. Um, we talked about Williams dropping back a little bit. Sonnet getting the start at right back. And Spain I'm, specifically. I'm still baffled by the Casey Short kind of, I don't know if it's a situation or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. But situation. Like she was sitting, because we have really cool press box seats right over the benches, and Casey Short was like right below us, and we saw her get up like – what, nine or ten times and stretch a little, warm up a yeah. little, but never got in. I think that's just the, the yeah, they just No, it is, but just the right? fact that you I know, just yeah. saw her. Just, uh, I don't, I spoke with her in Orlando. I mean, honestly, I, you know, maybe easy to say this from my perspective, but certainly, like, the most positive and optimistic and upbeat person, particularly having gone through being cut last year from the World Cup, you know, when probably rightfully thinking that she was going, I would say. Um, and now, basically in the same sort of position of wondering what's going to happen and it's an even smaller roster so um fullback scenario still i mean we talk about it every year um you know you got to make sure o'hara's healthy i think dunn's obviously really locked down the one side um and then sonnet's gotten a lot of minutes there um and then casey short's kind of the odd person out still well here's my thing about short i don't want to make this a whole segment about someone that didn't play but this is kind of an awkward spot because it was 20 for qualifying. It's 18 for Tokyo, but he's got 23 for this tournament. So he's got to take extra players. And you figure there's more than 20 that are still available to him. Right. But if he's already made the decision that Casey Short is not going to be on the Olympic roster, then why bring her to sit on the bench? If you're going to take that extra player, why not take, like, a Sam Staub no, or something But I don't else? think he's made that decision. And, and talking but then you got a player. Well, 
but it, we're not in training, right? No, this that's is absolutely so, correct. So I mean, that's that's the tough part. And I think I mean I I learned talking to her in Orlando. She picked up a knock on the first day of January camp. There so, you go. So that theoretically explains qualifying even. Um, so yeah, and but but like you said, I mean I, I think the other players, um, you know, if you're asking me who stood out. I think you have to continue to say press has stood out as you look at the Spain game here, changing that game off the bench um, and then against England. Um, again, if you haven't seen that goal, it's world class. Uh, they've already made it a T-shirt. I need to I need to get like something I write that becomes a T-shirt. Well, you got good stuff coming this week. Uh, so. I do, yes. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but uh, I think press has really stood out, obviously. And then um, – I think Ertz is a standout. Well, yeah. I know she scored, so it sounds like I'm just going after the goal scorer. I thought she was – I don't know if she was terrific, but I thought she was the best player on the pitch for them minute one to 90. Yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, that was in Orlando, Vlatko said. Uh, you know, he didn't realize it until he was coaching this team, knew she was important, but um, now coaching her, seeing her in training, knows that, um, you know, she might be – he called her the glue, the most important of the players, and – I thought even him actually. I mean, he was asked directly about Julie Ertz, so this was proposed to him as a question. But usually, sometimes coaches don't want to get into singling a player out too much, and so I thought that was interesting that he did go ahead and say, you know, I think she's the most important. And I do think it's more pronounced with the national team than it is with the Red Stars. And I say that because he obviously has coached against her her entire pro career, so it'd be interesting if he was surprised by that. Because I, I, I mean, not that she's not great for the Red Stars, but I think it is. She is definitively right now the most important person on this U.S. team. Yeah. And I don't always feel that way with the Red Stars. Interesting. Who who on Chicago? It's not that even that there's somebody else. I just don't watch the Red Stars and say they could not possibly win without Julie Ertz. Oh, yeah, that probably speaks to kind of their chemistry. Right. And, and obviously and when you get Kerr, scores 18 <laughs> goals. But, that, you know, that's only this that's one season. One, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, from there – I think you got to figure out the front three. Um, the midfield, I think, feels – I mean, look, you've got f several midfielders that can – you've got different combinations, but um, certainly feels kind of set. And the back line even, I mean, we talk about fullback a lot, but the center-back pairing is clearly obvious at this set. point. But not uh, playing great, playing okay. Yeah, I think that's fair and – yeah, I mean, I don't have anything hugely critical to say, but – Little moments. I mean, there was the, the giveaway from Sauerbrunn against England that was just, I'm right. sure she would say, in a, you know, unex, inexcusable. And that easily could have been a goal. They right. wasted that. Um, so, I mean, certainly there, there have been moments um, on the back line. We, we talked about this a lot last year, that that might be potentially they the going to win every game 6-5. Yet they haven't given up a goal all right. year. Right. We should acknowledge that um, even more than, yeah. It's been a, they haven't given up a goal since – there's a couple of late ones against Sweden in November. Yep. So, um, what about um, some very strange noise happening yeah, outside we where about, we're recording? Yeah. Um, Williams playing. Oh, I thought Sam Mewis had. Um, I thought she was as I don't want to say invisible, but as non-visible as I've ever seen her. Well, we should probably credit Spain again here, though, because sure. I thought. I mean, they. they we, we know from talking downstairs now with with players and Vlatko that. They didn't plan to sit back like that. So Spain actually managed to pin them back. And that, as he kind of said a few times, really, I guess, we, we 
kind of circle back on it a bunch, but that uh, is not their DNA, the U.S. So the idea of dropping off or having a drop off to, to defend, um, you know, that compacts that midfield, it allows for less space, and, um, you know, I think that affects everybody, including uh, Amulis. And, um, and then, you know, and we should acknowledge, too, you get later in a game like that and you've got, we're saying Press came on, Heath came on, Haran came on, but you know, that changes a game late, and there's obviously tired legs and everything. So. Absolutely. Although, again, I did not think Spain necessarily gave in to the usual, like, we're, we're, like I don't think they were out of gas. I didn't think they, they backed off or anything like that. But a few weeks ago on the pod, we were talking about the midfield and kind of debating among the big four, and we were saying that Ertz is the one, and then how about the other three? It now kind of feels to me like Ertz and Lavelle and Haran and Mewis are battling for the third spot. Say it again. Haran and Mewis. Ertz and Lavelle are set. Are mean. set. Yeah. And it's Mewis and Haran. Yeah, and I think um, I think that's what it's been to be honest. I mean, that was that was the thing in the World Cup too, right? It well, was I guess Lavelle had to be healthy, but she's been on this probably right. her but longest stretch of but good health. Yeah, if she was, it was pretty much automatic at that point. So I don't think anything's changed there. Um, and I think. Well, it changed because Haran, entering last year, we thought was the player. Right. And that didn't quite pan out. Right. Well, I think it was matchup too. It was, it was matchup. She got hurt. Right, and we saw at the World Cup. I think it was dependent on opponent, and um, so yeah, I think that's fair. Those two are probably. I mean, Ertz is clearly. That's the, you don't have a like for like for Ertz, and you don't have a like for like for Lavelle. I mean, you can say Tobin is a similar player, but not best used in that ten role. Right. So you don't have replacements for those two. Whereas like Mewis and Haran. Not the same player, but can both give you something different in that shuttling role. And also, I need to go back and watch it again because I only saw it live in the stadium and then on the one replay. But the run Ertz made to get in on the free kick, I thought, was spectacular. Yeah, I mean, usual. I mean, it wasn't quite a near post corner kick, the usual, but it was near post to, to, to a degree and shaking a defender. So, um, yeah, I thought she was, you know. She was good again. The cool part about Red Bull, too, is um, with the outdoor press box right on top of the sideline, we get to hear things, too. Um, and, you know, she was she was involved in a lot today, and certainly a few calls she didn't like thought were a bit soft, thought were a bit soft. So, um, you know. Latko, to too, for that yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, got to see some of that up close today. All right. We'll do one more segment, take some questions and comments, and some final thoughts. Episode 99 of the Equalizer podcast. Episode 99, third and final segment, Equalizer podcast, as we head towards 100, U.S. defeats Spain 1 to nothing. And before we continue on, it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check them out on the web at fbref.com for their ever-growing catalog of women's sports statistics. And this week, with the win over Spain, Vlatko Andonovsky improves to 9-0 and as head coach of the U.S. women's national team, the only other coach to start their tenure, 9-0, and was Pia Sundhag in 2008. And if Flacco and the U.S. can defeat Japan on Wednesday, it will match the longest winning streak to begin a coaching tenure. That was Pia's 10 at the start of 08, and that streak ended with a 1-1 draw against Canada 
in a match that was actually part of uh, Olympic qualifying went to PKs and the U.S. won on PKs. And then long win streak after that for Pia. So Flacco 9-0 joins Pia as the only coaches to start that way. And he can match the record for most wins at the start of a tenure, 10, if the U.S. beats Japan on Wednesday. That's your Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their women's soccer catalog, growing every day at fbref.com. Dan and Jeff, and if it sounds like we have moved into a tunnel or something along those lines, uh, we told you that we were recording at Red Bull Arena. And unfortunately, we ran out of time and uh, were removed from Red Bull Arena. We uh, we stayed beyond the time we were supposed to be there. So uh, we're doing segment three, uh, the you back uh, the usual way. So, well, you got to know what time you have to leave to be beyond the time that you're supposed to be there. I think. Well, that's fair enough, and we and it probably should have been longer time than it was. Uh, but let's get to some questions here. John Forsythe sent in a couple. What or who is to blame for the Lionesses' fall? of form as of late. Phil Neville, the injuries to Bronze and Kirby. And I said knobs before. I think I meant Kirby. An overall lack of depth of their player pool. What needs to change to get them back on form? Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I think ultimately that that is uh, Phil Neville's task, right? So um, I think he's certainly feeling the pressure. Um, getting a result against Japan will help. Um, but, you know, I think that it was clear to me from the comments post game on on Sunday at Red Bull Arena certainly that um, Euro 2021 is is on the mind for England um, perhaps you know as much or more so than the Olympics especially since that's a home tournament so um, certainly on Sunday against Japan we saw some more experimentation and, and some younger younger players getting minutes so. Um, I don't think, you know, this is a friendly tournament. We have to keep reminding ourselves. So the results are, um, the, the actual hard results, you know, are not necessarily everything, but I would say that, you know, I think that England's actual form has, has not been great. So I think it's a combination. Yeah. And like I said before, Spain is at the point where they can come close and lose and we praise them. England is at the point where if they don't play well and don't start getting results, we knock them. I think the talent is there. I, you know, I think they're definitely contenders at the Euros. The Olympics are a weird deal for them because they can bring in players, you know, as a Team GB thing, so they can bring in other players. We're expecting probably Kim Little to be there. So I think it's a little bit difficult for development long-term when you have to do that, even though some of us will, will enjoy seeing that. Uh, John Forsythe, again, Foudy, that's Julie on the ESPN broadcast, clearly dislikes Zonal defending on corner kicks. Why do you think Vlatko is testing them out in this tournament? And are there advantages of zone defending on corner kicks, or is Fowdy right? You're the you're the guy who played at a much higher level than me. So what do you think about zonal marking on corners? <laughs> uh, I think we will be debating corner kick marking until the end of time. Um, yeah, I mean, th there's there's certain disadvantages to to man marking and and zonal. I mean, it's a personnel thing to some degree. It's a um, you know you've always kind of got the arguments of of you're sort of naturally going back to goal if you're playing man, um, you know, kind of running towards your own goal in that sense. So, um, you know, I, I think the reality of them um, is, is to John's question is like, there's not always a pure one or the other. It's typically a hybrid, especially in certain situations where you play a 
France being the best example with a Wendy Renard who you have to sort of particularly pay attention to. So, um, yeah, I mean, like many things, I think some of these more nuanced elements are, uh, you know, this is when you try them. You don't try them in July. Renard's an interesting case too and as i think was the goal that earth scored because earth's kind of meandered through some different people maybe zonal marking helps in that case and as far as renard goes is there anybody in the world that can honestly mark up renard on a set piece 1v1 if it's hitting the right spot no well i think if i'm recalling correctly the u.s used to put abby wambach um on her defensively if if you know if everybody was she was in the game um and I will say Christine Sinclair, I mean, it was only one, I guess. I'm trying to think if there were more, but she did win an offensive header on Renard the other day last week, which was, uh, I mean, obviously Sinclair is a great player and, and pretty tall herself, but I thought that was notable. Um, but yeah, and you'd probably throw Ertz on her at this point and, um, you know, see who wants to, I mean, they you got a double teamer. So um, yeah, and I think we'll be talking about zone versus man till the end of time, to be honest. And let's reiterate, 2020, the U.S. has played, what, seven times? How many goals have they conceded? None. So it's not like things have gone poorly. But, you know, the set, I mean, they look, they played Spain. Now all three of their goals, you know, two PKs and a set piece. So they matter a lot in these games. Um, Fred Bauskas, thoughts on U.S. soccer's release, claiming to have offered the women's national team equal pay. Seems like gamesmanship to me especially considered the timing. I can say that the players certainly were in agreement about that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to figure what U.S. soccer's game plan is here. You know, if they think they have a good court case, then that's fine. They should take it to court. But, yeah, it was, it was, the timing was odd and uncomfortable for everyone and um, not, you know, not, not a break from the recent narrative between the players and the federation yeah i don't know if i have many fresh kind of legal thoughts beyond uh you know th this continues to look like it's headed toward court rather than a settlement as i think the words get a bit nastier on each side and and the distance seems to kind of grow um and you know i, I mean a lot of this um i don't want to say has been a, a pr battle but obviously it's two sides looking at numbers in different ways um and i i think you know, in the PR space, in the in the sort of goodwill space, this has been and always will be on the player side. And um, the idea of a Saturday evening press release letter, you know, on the eve of a, you know, significant game, I guess I'd say, for a friendly anyway, and on, you know, a few hours before International Women's Day, I mean, you know, I, I would say the optics continue to be poor on the Federation side. And uh, Megan Rapinoe was asked in the mix zone after the game if she had spoken to Carlos Cordero, the president of the Federation pregame. And she basically said, you know, I didn't see him. But then she added in, we're not exactly on chatty terms, <laughs> the way she put it. Uh, Laura Alexander, who uh, is a new name to me. So thanks, Laura, for chiming in. Hope to hear from you again. Thoughts on Vlatko playing pretty much the same field players in the first two games. Is it weird him not subbing in any defenders this far, or is that just based off of his high press philosophy? I'll start here by saying that one thing that Jill Ellis said 
I think it was last year. It might have been this tournament last year, or maybe it was the year before Tournament of Nations, and it really resonated with me. She said, sometimes you have to play players in these friendly tournaments three games in a row to simulate what it's going to be like at the World Cup group stage or the Olympic group stage. So I'm not completely surprised by that. We talked before about the you know, the midfield where it looks like it's Mewis and Haran battling for that spot, uh, you know, in the Casey short thing, but I'm not terribly surprised that he, that he's done it. I think he'll, I think we'll see some different people against Japan though. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I expected a little bit of, um, a little bit of experimentation, um, nothing drastic. And I think, you know, we got, we got a variation to the lineup against Spain. So maybe we get a couple more, um, against japan from the u.s uh, like you know i do think and that was a good uh a good reference back to um something that i had even forgotten that that jill had said about um getting players used to the scheduling which has come up i guess here at this tournament as well again and um look i i mean i just the results at this time of year um you, you know you can say what you want about this concept or or pushing this as a narrative but they're just they're not as important as what actually happens because um this is the time that things get tested out and even if they don't look like you know it doesn't mean that like a b team gets rolled out or something so drastically different but some of the nuance of swapping a striker um maybe it is leaving those fullbacks in there or i mean obviously sonic getting time um this is the time that you try them and you look at I wouldn't say the U.S. is like traditionally a slow team that starts the year slowly, but or slowly being maybe a disingenuous word. But, you know, you look at some of the previous years and you've got the France game in each of the World Cup years. Um, you got the 2017 She Believes, which was a different story with the, the three back. But, you know, this is when they try things. And sometimes it doesn't even really usually sacrifice results. It's been over a year on the, on the result front. But um it sometimes means that stuff's not as pretty or dominant at times now we haven't seen short we haven't seen krieger we haven't seen sullivan we haven't seen davidson who still hasn't played in a match since she got hurt the week of the nwsl championship in late october uh, i'm not sure if i'm missing anybody that we haven't seen yet but who are you th- who do you most want to see and who do you think we'll most likely see uh, most likely is a good question. Um, you know, I think it depends what you want out of the Japan game, but, um, and I, I come back to the, I think we mentioned this before was, uh, you know, get, not really seeing training and, and wanting to kind of know, um, cause you never know. Like, I, I mean, I'd be tempted to say, you know, it'd be interesting to see Casey Short actually get time in one of these games. It'd be interesting to see Mallory Pugh actually get time in one of these games and, and see, where they are, you know, now in a game scenario, uh, which for both of them we haven't seen in months. Um, but, you know, we don't know what training looks like. So th- those two kind of jump out. Um, whether we see them or not, you know, I'm really not sure. I'd like to see Sullivan in there because, right. you know, I think with the four midfielders, Sullivan looks like the fifth, I guess. Well, well and a lot she of got time. There. Yeah, but but like to that, she got some time at least in in qualifying. Those other two that I just named, like we haven't seen them, and they haven't played a game since November. True. Early November. All right, Godwin Okali is going to change things up a little bit. Uh, have there been transfer fees paid 
to clubs in Woso, how much would club teams ask for a star player with two or three years left on their contracts, Van de Donk, Mietema, Majri, et cetera. Um, the only one I know of for sure, in the, it was Aaron Simon, believe it or not. All right, and didn't the Flash sell somebody on a transfer fee? Obviously, a good few years ago. Um, one of the it's, Canadian players. Maybe. It sounds vaguely familiar. I mean, the, the general answer is that traditionally, no, um, there have not been fees. And that is ever so slowly changing. And I think our friend Kieran Tavum wrote about this recently. Um, I think there's been a couple of stories about sort of the the shift in the, the transfer market and something that we've been kind of keeping an eye on. Um, certainly now, part of this allocation money in the NWSL is made to to be paying transfer fees as well. So um, it's happening. Um, it's just not like the, it's not the sort of blockbuster men's deal of a hundred million dollars, you know, we're, we're talking about. Right. Anyway. And I, and I think on the men's side, those players bring back marketing opportunities for those teams. Whereas on the women's side, I think we're going to move in that direction, but it really is a lot more about wins and losses still for the women. Not that the men's teams aren't trying to win, but there are, greater possibilities in bringing in a big, big name. And we're not quite there yet on the women's side. Yeah. All right. So thanks, Godwin, for the question. Apologies for the uh, kind of mixed venue podcast today, but that's going to wrap up episode 99. Monday is opening day of NWSL preseason. So stay tuned for roster drops and find out kind of which players are on the non-roster invitation list. We will talk to you next week for episode 100 for Jeff Kasuf, I'm Dan Lawletta. This has been episode 99 of the Equalizer podcast.